0: a popular outcast production
1: i'm gonna sneeze and then i'll, and then I'll do the intro oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I called it out yeah, yeah. it's like <laughs> all right Hello everyone and welcome to Portable Power, the only podcast that thinks Gamergate is the entrance to E3. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Mark Matters and I am here with Kevin Seibert
0: and Emrys Smith.
1: All right. Hey Emrys, what's going on over there? Not much. Yeah? What are you drinking today? I'm
0: drinking some hot apple cider, which is, um, it's nice and hot. Do you spice it? Yeah, it's spiced apple cider. It's not even like from a can of or like a bottle of apple cider. It's from a Keurig thing. It's surprisingly not bad.
1: You've been all about that Keurig these past few episodes. Yeah, well,
0: it's because I don't drink alcohol anymore, so I drink Keurig cups. All right,
1: cool. What have you been
0: playing? So Civilization Beyond Earth just dropped today. So I'm gonna call that one out.
1: Is that what it sounds like?
0: Yes, it's um, it's a new Civilization game based on Civilization V, and it's sort of the spiritual successor to Alpha Centauri. It's really cool, it's really especially cool if you like Civilization V, because it's mostly the same game, but it has a lot of new, like, flavor to it that really changes the experience. Like, right now, I'm on an island with a siege worm, which is one of those worms from Dune. The Shy Halloon. Yeah, exactly, and it's killing my trade routes. And I can't do anything about it except corral it in with explorer units because I have a special ability on my explorers that aliens won't fuck with them. So, like, the sand people from Dune, basically, like, poking the siege worm to get it to stop eating the siege, the, the trade route. And so that's pretty cool. Because normally in sit 5... If barbarians are attacking you, you just go crush them. You build some swordmen, you go crush them, and they're gone. But the siege worm has like 60 strength compared to my guys who have 17. And you just can't can't fight it. So the corralling is really the only thing you can do, and it's pretty cool.
1: Well, Emrys, question of the week. Given that this is our um, unofficial official Halloween episode, what is the scariest video game experience you've ever had?
0: So, the scariest video game I've ever played, I'm going to have to go with Eternal Darkness, Sanity's Requiem. Yes! The cool thing about Sanity's Requiem is that your character can take sanity damage instead of health damage from certain enemies or just from like running around in scary places. And whenever you go into a new room, there's a chance that you'll activate some kind of scary thing about that room. And they vary wildly from things like the room is upside down, and you're walking around on the ceiling for a little while, to it will close the game and put up the PlayStation logo. GameCube? No. No, it would put up the PlayStation logo. I don't remember that. Yeah, well that's the thing. People, you can play these games and never see all of them. But it definitely it definitely put up the, the place, it was like loading whatever the opening screen was for the PlayStation. I was like, (laughs) what just happened? Which is exactly what you want from that kind of effect. Yeah,
1: because it's like meta. It makes the player think they're going crazy, too. It'll say, like, memory card corrupt, Mm -hmm. you know, on top of just, like, the controls getting messed up, or your character's, like, life bar suddenly depleting to your arms fall off.
0: Yeah. And there's all kinds of little things, like... A room where the heads of the statues will follow you, and, like, the library books are flying around in a circle, and there's just, like, something for in every scene that happens when you have low sanity. It's just really cool.
1: Yeah, plus it's very heavily Lovecraft-influenced, and I love Lovecraft. Yeah. And just, the atmosphere is perfect. There was a Kickstarter for the sequel, and it never got funded, oh, and no. it just, the project kind of fell apart. That's That's a shame. So... Really disappointed, but, uh... What would that have even been for? Um, PC and Wii U, I believe. <laughs> oh, I thought Silicon Knights was,
2: uh, like, owned by Microsoft now or something.
1: Um, it's former Silicon Knights. They got, okay. I think they got the rights to the franchise. No, it was, like, some kind of thing where they were very carefully wording Yeah. the game or... I don't know. I, it's all behind us now, sadly. I, there wasn't much to see, and now it's all kind of gone, which mm. is sad. Um, but anyway, Kevin, what's going on? Oh, not much. Just sitting here recording a podcast.
0: What a coincidence.
1: I know.
2: Um, I'm drinking Duck Rabbit Brewery's Milk Stout. Duck Rabbit is, um, I believe, a, a North Carolina brewery. And it's, you know, pretty... Uh, like, if you if you like milk stouts, you'll like this one. It's I don't know that I've ever had one. Um, they're sweeter than your standard stout, and they're also creamier. And this one have, seems to have sort of a, like... I don't know, almost like a toasted flavor. Nice. What have you been playing? Well, you guys remember how, like, last episode I said that I was replaying Twooey for the fir- for the third time? Yeah. And, but I wasn't, like, playing it super seriously? Yeah. Well, I finished it. I'm grinding for Shadow Matter and Dark
1: Matter, so I'm balls deep. Wow. Man, it's only, it's only been, like, two weeks?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I got a little nuts about it. I've stopped on that for now because I finally sent my 3DS in for repairs yesterday. Oh. Um, I hadn't had a chance to make it to the UPS store. It it, it was working in, um, classic mode, but not in, like, the actual 3DS mode. Okay. So, I, you know, I was waiting because, like, I... First of all, I couldn't get to the UPS store, but second of all, um... You know, with all the Ebola in the United States, I was kind of hesitant to send my 3DS anywhere. And I was like, well, there hasn't been Ebola in New York yet, where it's being mailed to. And so I mailed it out yesterday, this morning, in the headlines, Ebola in fucking New
1: York. (laughs) Uh, You're you're being a little uh, uh, overcautious.
2: Well, this is our Halloween (laughs) episode, so we're talking about fucking scary shit, man. Literally,
0: what are the chances of there being Ebola in New York? Period. Let alone that you would have that thought the day before Ebola comes to New York. That is. Well, no,
2: like, I had the thought, like, weeks before where Mm. I was like, I don't know how I feel about sending this in because, you know, (laughs) Ebola. So then I was like, you know, I think it'll be okay. And then I sent it, and the day after. (laughs) It
0: might be the most irrational fear possible to have. I I, I'm sure. aware that it's
2: irrational, but the good news is, like, start this week I started working from home so I don't have to fucking leave the house anymore. Yeah. Oh,
1: man. Yeah. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Well, uh, question of the week, scariest uh, gaming experience?
2: Well, Eternal Darkness was really scary, but the other one that, I, that it was a toss-up for, and I guess this isn't so much scary, but it's more macabre, is Monster Party for the NES. Oh. Mm. It was always sort of uh like I mean for an eight bit game it has some pretty upsetting imagery in it. Like, you know, legs protruding out of the ground, kicking violently, like dogs with human heads running around and Those are the worst. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's got some it's got some fucked up shit in it.
1: Yeah, I agree. Did it actually scare you when you were a little kid?
2: Uh, I don't think so, but like it was definitely I I definitely wasn't playing with like the, you know, light hearted, um, sort of attitude that I played Mario with, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I think Friday the 13th is the scarier NES game. It's not a—it's not a, the better game. Monster Party is vastly superior, but Friday the 13th was so... Like, you never knew when you were going to be wandering through a cabin and Jason was just going to be there. To me, as a, as a, you know, six-year-old or eight-year-old or whatever, like, it was just like, ah! You know, and then he would kill you. Yeah, okay. So there was, like, <laughs> if he showed up, there's no hope of getting away? Um, no, I think you could, You fought him, and you had to kill him, I think, multiple times. Mm. But, I don't know. Like, I was never good, and to this day I'm not very good at NES games, so. So, uh, Mark, what are you up to tonight? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Finishing show notes at the last minute. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah.
1: Are you uh, drinking anything tonight? Um, I'm about to be. I, I need a drink. Here I have 21st Amendment's Fireside Chat, which I don't believe I've had on the show before. Maybe you did. Uh, I don't remember. It sounds familiar okay. to me. Anyway. Yeah, well, sorry if this is a repeat, folks. I won't spend much time on it. But it's like a, it's like a dark, strong ale. It's a little bit spiced, but not as, you know, disgusting as that sounds. So, it's really good. One of my favorite <laughs> beers right now. I like spiced ales quite a bit. As long as it's not too spiced. Like, it's very, right. very subtle in this one.
2: Mm-hmm. And uh, what are you playing that's not for the show?
1: I have, like, 50 hours in Hyrule Warriors, and have barely scratched the surface. Uh, and um, then the DLC came out, which added a whole bunch of stuff, and um, that game is never going to end. It's, it's so huge. So I'm really enjoying it. Also playing Ping 1.5 Plus on the Wii U.
2: Oh, how is that?
1: I didn't care for it at first, to be completely <laughs> honest. Like, the first world, and uh, the developer uh, and a friend of our show, Christopher Arnold of Nami Mushi, um, even said... I believe on twitter that like you know the first couple levels are just sort of an introductory thing for you to get used to the game and um by world 2 though i was like this game is awesome i absolutely adore i'm on world 4 now and it is really difficult like i swear a bunch
0: is is this your first time playing a ping game
1: it is because it's the first time it's been available on a a platform that i own i believe so um i'm really liking it and i'm really glad that um uh, myself in the name of our show could help get it funded and yeah. get it on the Wii U. It's, it's crazy to see it on there. Like Christopher Arnold has his own, um, like developer profile mm-hmm. on the Meverse, and like, it's, it's like a verified account and stuff like that. And it's just, it's just cool to see like this, this, like, you know, we interviewed him on the show and I, I, I it's a rougher episode because it's one of our earlier episodes yeah. but it's really interesting to get to know him and his story mm-hmm. and where he came from with programming and everything and and where he's at now and it'll be really cool to see where he goes in the future.
0: And it helps that his games are really good. Yeah. They like sneak up on you, don't they? Like you at first you're like, "Oh, this is this is annoying." But then you you start getting accustomed to it and you realize that the challenge is, is all like geometrical and you can sort of See the paths.
1: I'm really terrible at. Oh yeah, it, but um, they're hard. <laughs> it, it looks it looks pretty good, all things considered. Like yeah, I know it started out as like a like an 8-bit style game, yeah. but it's it's now like full on like um, 3D graphics. I guess you'd say, but still in that simplistic style. It's still like huge pixels. Mm-hmm. Like um, the graphics straddle between like Atari and like Minecraft, like somewhere in between those two. And there's a lot of uh, what I want to say, like throwbacks to. Games that he obviously loves there's like um, graphical elements from asteroids and and space invaders mm-hmm. and Super Mario are just a few that I've seen so far and it it's it's really cool I recommend getting it it's only five bucks on the Wii U and it's it's a really challenging puzzle game. I recommend it.
0: You really have nothing but nice things to say about that man and his games So Mark,
1: what is your scariest video game experience? Uh, a few years ago, I decided I was going to buy a ps two this was already after, like, the PS3 was out. But I was like, I want to play all those horror games I missed. So I went out and bought all the Silent Hills and Fatal Frames and, and all these obscure ones, Roll Rose and uh, Echo, Beyond, Echo Night Beyond or whatever the hell it's called, and, like, played just, like, a crap ton of horror games on the PS2 for super cheap because uh, it was all old by that point. But um, the one that sticks out the most was Fatal Frame 2. Um, it is still to this day the scariest game I've ever played in my entire life. And it's not as scary now... You know, after playing, I've played, like, six Fatal Frame games at this point. It's one of my favorite series to this day. But, like, what you under, start to understand the mechanics. So, like, even though the atmosphere becomes very, very scary, you understand that nothing's really going to happen. Like, it's kind of just, like, all set up just to make you in get in the mood for the game and, and just feel oppressed and, and, and afraid and stuff like that. So it's not as scary as it used to be, but, like, the, my first time playing through it, Um, I was playing a lot of times on, like, weekends. My wife would go to work, and I'd still be at home. So I'd be playing like, 6 or 7 in the morning. And even though it was light out, and I'm on the couch in my living room, I was, like, under the blankets, like, didn't want to put my feet on the floor. Like, scared. (laughs) Like, you know, that feeling when you're a kid, and you don't want to put your legs over the edge of the bed. Like, I was that scared playing the game in broad daylight. Well, um, I've been kind of long-winded, but I'm going to be a little bit more long-winded here. Um, I'm going to roll into our first review here for our Halloween episode. And I am reviewing Five Nights at Freddy's. This was developed by Scott Cawthon. Forgive me if I'm not pronouncing that correctly. It is $4.99 on the iOS app store and various other platforms. I think you can get it on Steam and Android and everything now. Um, so Five Nights at Freddy's is a, it's a first-person survival horror game, which is a pretty like booming genre these days. There's games like Alien Isolation and Outlast and Amnesia, and all these games are getting a lot of attention. Survival horror is kind of having a, a, a new life in this day and age, and but what sets Five Nights at Freddy, uh sort of apart from all of those is it's a little bit more limited, and it has this very, like, point-and-click nature. So you, you never see you, I forget, you do have a name, but I can't remember it, but you play as this uh, night shift security guard of this sort of Chuck E. Cheese-esque family restaurant called Freddy Fazbear's Pizza, and you're tasked with keeping the place secure. And you don't really have any need to venture out into the, you know, other rooms or anything like that. You know, it's, it's the 21st century, you can monitor the entire premises just fine from the comfort of your office. And you, you actually can't leave the room over the course of the game. You can't even walk at all, like, you, you can look left or right, and you can, you can view the security cameras, but that's it. And that's the first reason why this game is scary. You know, the best horror games, in my opinion, are the ones that make you feel helpless. You know, it could be literally by giving you no weapons, like, say, um, Haunting Ground or Silent Hill Shattered Memories, or maybe, like, um, you ha- they have the player sort of question uh, what is real, or-, or if, like, escape or, or victory is even a, a possibility, like in Eternal Darkness that we mentioned or um, Silent Hill 2. Five Nights at Freddy's forces the player to remain stationary and just basically wait for your imminent death to come. Yes. And <laughs> you have to endure, as the <laughs> title implies, five nights of increasingly difficult shifts to reach the end of the game. And I think there's actually a sixth night that you unlock, but I didn't. I did not get to that point. Um, <laughs> and I, I mean, it's it's crazy because a shift only lasts maybe five minutes of real time. And then you know that sounds easy, right? Well. <laughs> well, here's what happens, you know, you, you, <laughs> here, okay, here's a normal, a normal night at Freddy Fazbear's pizza. Yeah. You know, it'll, it'll, it'll start up. Uh, you'll get a call from your supervisor and he's basically the game's tutorial. And he explains the mecha- you know, the mechanics of the game or gives you backstory of, of the, 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 the franchise or, you know, all this stuff. And then you basically have to sit there and monitor the cameras, uh, for the remainder of the evening to make sure the, uh, animatronic animals in the place don't do bad things. Um, Yeah. Did I fail to mention that uh, Freddy and his friends are a giant mechanical bear, fox, and chicken, and other lovely woodland creatures who just so happen to be... They're not exactly fans of human beings. After the the, uh, place closes, they get up and they move around and if they see people people are disposed of.
0: The the game explanation is that they are they look like animatronic skeletons without a suit on. That's the, the game explanation for why they kill you is they look at people. Humans look like end of the, the skeletons without the suit on. So they try to mash you into a suit <laughs> with, with fatal results. I had
1: forgotten that. So they don't move as long as a camera is pointed at their you know, horrifying faces. But the problem is, you can only watch one camera at a time. So while you're trying to make sure the freaking scariest bunny rabbit you can imagine in your mind stays in his place in another room that you're not paying attention to, this crazy-eyed fox would be banging around doing who the hell knows what. So th- here's where it really, the limitations really start to come in again, is you only have a certain amount of electricity. And so the longer you leave the lights on, or operate remote doors, or watch the cameras, the more electricity you use up, and then potentially at the end of the night, the longer you have to go without any electricity. And if the lights aren't on, the doors aren't shut, you're not watching them on the camera, they're going to get you. Now, I'm going to describe to you my initial experience with the game. I'm sitting in a chair in my living room, playing with all the lights on. I do have my headphones in. Uh, My wife and her mother... (laughs) Are, are across the room watching, oh, like, a cooking show or something. They're only, like, ten feet away. You know, I'm, I'm, I consider myself a seasoned survival horror veteran. I've played most of the Resident Evils, Silent Hills, Clock Tower, Fatal Frame, all these. I'm like, I can take this. It's a little iPhone game. You know, I'm in a fully lit room. There are other pe- humans here. Like, piece of cake. First night of the game. Whatever. Atmosphere's established. This game's kind of creepy. Very good sound design second night. I barely survive until morning, and at the very end of the night, there's this nightmarish chicken just staring at me through a window. (laughs) (laughs) Night three comes. I end up using most of my electricity, monitoring all the noises around me, and at the end of the night, I have to go like two hours without any of it. So, I have to ride out these last couple hours till sunrise, just kind of in the dark. Then, clank, clank, Shuffle, shuffle. <laughs> like I'm kind of sweating here. Out of the darkness, at the real, the very end of the night, in like less than half of a second, you, I just see this flash of a face that looks like a, like a broken mechanical Disney nightmare, and it's just emitting this horrifying screech. And then the screen, <laughs> the screen just goes to static. <laughs> so I rip the headphones out of my ears, and basically like throw my phone (laughs) and that was it um so needless to say i can't recommend the game much (laughs) higher than that um i mean especially if like getting scared out of your face is something that you enjoy i mean i have to i have to give props to scott Cawthon for making a legitimately scary game that i it's for an iphone like it's it's pretty pretty impressive And good news, if you are already a fan of the game, um, the sequel is already in the works, and it already looks to surpass the original in every terrifying way possible.
2: But you want to know what's even scarier than Five Nights at Freddy's? What's that? Five Nights at Freddy's fan art? Sexy chicken.
1: Ew. (laughs) Please tell me you made that up.
2: (laughs) No, I'm looking at it right now. (laughs) Oh, no. It's wearing a thong. Uh, oh. mm. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Is nothing sacred. Yeah. I um I picked up my game amongst a bundle. And at first I was going to I was interested in Five Nights at Freddy's because it sounded like it had interesting mechanics. But yeah. then I when I sat down and played it, I died 3 times on the first night because I just I couldn't figure <laughs> out I could not figure out how to play this game. it it seems like everything that you do drains all the power so i got frustrated and then i realized that i was frustrated by the game doing exactly what it was trying to do to me (laughs) and i was like i can't review this because i kind of hate it but it's clearly a huge success (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) i understand completely Well, what game did you end up deciding to review tonight?
0: I chose Rebuild.
1: Let's hear about it.
0: I picked Rebuild because it is on the day that Civilization Beyond Earth drops. I wanted to pick a city-building game to you know, you know, celebrate celebrate the strategy genre. Okay. So Rebuild is pretty cool. It is a it's not a city-building game. It's a city reclaiming game, and um, what happens is you are survivors who are holed up in, a, in a, an area of your city that's all fenced in, so you're basically secure. Um, you do get attacked every night by zombies, but as long as you post guards, then you'll pretty much be safe. Like You can minimize the risk, but the game charges you in order to succeed, in order to win. You have to reclaim 30 buildings around you in the city, including City Hall. So it's not enough for you to just rest on your laurels behind your walls. You have to go out on missions and secure buildings so that you can protect yourself. Or so that you can grow your population to the point where you've rebuilt your society, more or less. The user interface is really weird because it's this, like, it's like distressed paper and blood oozing everywhere, and like the buttons are all rough-looking and rusty. But the actual buildings are little cartoon structures, and they look just like they look—they look just like um, any other city-building game that you'd find for the, the Android or iOS. Like,
1: so they look a little bit, a little bit too nice. Yeah, to have they're cute. Been in the zombie
0: apocalypse. Yeah, and. The, there's a fence. There's a barbed wire fence surrounding all your properties, so you, you're reminded that you're in a you're in a, a zombie apocalypse. But it just all seems a little bit too cute to me sometimes. But it's fine. Uh, it has great sound effects and music. The music is quite eerie. And the way that you play the game is you have a population of people, and you send your people out to do various things around the city, like you can collect food or scavenge for items, or uh, kill zombies, or recruit survivors. And um, you only have a limited population of like 8 or 10 people. So it's you have to manage their skills, and make sure that they're performing in the right places, and make sure that you can get all the tasks done that you need to get done. The game starts you out. You can choose to start in the winter or in the spring. And if you start in the winter, then none of your farms produce any food. So it's really important that you get your guys scouting out around the city to find food supplies. So you spend a lot of your time sending your guys out, and you have to scout and find food. And then if you want to reclaim a site, you have to send your guys to uh, kill all the zombies there. And then another mission to reclaim them. So getting all of the benefit out of a site requires like four days, and the whole time all of your population is eating food. And at the end of every day, there's a chance of some bad thing happening when the zombies attack. You also have to uh, manage your player's happiness, your 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 population's happiness, which. I ended up having no problem with because in a few places I found old porno magazines, (laughs) (laughs) which all told raised my happiness up to seventy five percent. So
2: presumably all ten of my your happiness and your
0: fappiness. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Your happiness. Yeah, that was bad. (laughs) Sorry. The game is actually pretty robust. Like it looks like it should be like an indie you know, sort of game where you don't expect the production value to be that good. But it has, Mm -hmm. like, it has a good strategy layer. Like, you can see where the zombies are and, like, what places you've scouted. It has graphs and, like, complex charts showing, like, all of your survivors, what your food is doing, your happiness. 75% from events. So, porno mags. (laughs) You can see your defenders, like how dangerous you are, how dangerous your circumstances are. You know, what equipment everyone, all of your characters can have, a piece of equipment, and um, yeah, all of the... All of the goals that you have to fulfill while you play do you have to deal
1: with typical zombie apocalypse stuff like other than zombies like bandits yeah or, um, like people in, within your compound going crazy or
0: whatever there are all kinds of random events that happen like I happen to get a lot of really good luck with um, my food income like people drop by to give me food all the time for some reason apparently they feel sorry for me. The only negative event I've had so far is that I got raided by bandits, and they took three food, which is not that much. Yeah. No. They stole a sandwich or something. Why didn't they just go to a soup kitchen and ask for dinner? Because I've raided all the soup kitchens. So you're the one. Yeah. I'm like the governor. monster. I'm like the governor from The Walking Dead. I have my nice, walled-in little community where everyone reads pornography. (laughs) You give and you take. (laughs) (laughs) So for me right now, food management is the big problem. And actually, I clicked end day without assigning any workers accidentally just now. So I just lost a whole day's worth of food. So I'll probably restart the game now. I actually think that during the winter, it doesn't make any sense to expand. Like, I invited in some um, recruits. I recruited some survivors. And I actually feel like I should have left them alone until the end of winter because I just have to feed them, and they the the survivors the more people you have in your town, the more missions you can go on but honestly, like the missions aren't hard, like scouting only requires one person
1: I mean what is that like? Is it like like a warcraft kind of thing where you're just like, "Oh, click here, they go here," and they kind of like just automatically do their thing or do you have to actually guide them
0: there's actually there's not a lot of like this is i think the biggest flaw of the game is there's not a lot of active gameplay necessarily um the way a lot of watching yeah the way the missions work is you tap on a building you select let's say scout the area then you assign people to it and then you do that until all of your people are assigned and then you hit end day and you get your results for the previous day's worth of missions. And so you don't actually have to, like, interact with the missions. You just assign people to maximize the chance of success. And then you hit end day and you get the results, which are presumably determined by a, uh, an algorithm. And every, basically every quest is like that. You, um, you have buildings that you can create. You can, like, knock down a house to make a farm or vice versa. And it just, it just shows you a little icon. Yes, you have people doing this. And then when it's done, you get the results. So it's a little, it's a little like, a little dry, I guess I'd call it, in the actual gameplay. Because you don't actually, like, it's more of a, a population management game. Rather than like an action survival horror game. That's not a, that's not a bad thing by any means. Yeah. It's it's um it's pretty well designed and it seems to have some depth. So overall, I quite like it. I would give it four brains out of five brains. Remember Halloween
1: Before I let Kevin start his review, I I promised faithful listener Daniel that I would play a game that he recommended, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm not going to give a full review. It's an older game. Um, It's called Powder Game Viewer, and when he sent this to us, I was like, what is this game? I downloaded it to try it out, and then after a few minutes, I'm like, what is this game? (laughs) And it's basically like a physics simulation game, and he posted a bunch of stuff on our Facebook where he made like art using all the different um, elements. So there's all kinds of things you can experiment with, like water, ice, sand, steel, glass, magma, Um, nitroglycerin like all these different things and you basically like draw on the screen or tap on the screen and like the little particles fall and it's all just little tiny pixels and stuff but they they react in different ways depending on you know what their attribute is like
0: i've played a browser game like this okay
1: it's probably the same thing if you put a bunch of like organic matter down like plants or whatever and then just throw some magma on it it's gonna burn those and then you can throw water on the magma, and it'll like cool down the magma and create like rocks or whatever. So it's it's for me, it became like this um, god simulator. So I would create these twisted scenarios where I would like, oh, I'm gonna make the Earth, I'm gonna make some water, <laughs> and you can even put little people in it, and they're they're very basic, they're like little circles with legs. But and then you know, maybe one day it um, rained acid. <laughs> <laughs> You know and then maybe on top of that the volcano erupted oops <laughs> you know so and then oh okay you know nitroglycerin and then I would just kind of watch everything explode for like 10 minutes. so I don't know how he really makes or anybody really makes art I would imagine you just kind of like lay some sand. 'Cause he, he posted a picture of like this art from like A Link to the Past where like Link is laying face down on the ground and the and the fairy is above. It's like the game over screen from a Link to the Past or whatever. Or the um not the game over, but when you use a fairy. I don't know. Anyway, I've had some drinks. You know, it's fun. <laughs> it's fun to mess around with. I I, I I can't get into it. It's it's very much for the people that love to create things in games, the people that really got into Little Big Planet, the people that really got into Minecraft, which, you know I didn't really get into either. There was a whole lot. So I see the appeal, and I, th- I think it's cool that they can create cool little piece of art and stuff like that, but it's just not for me. Um, but I appreciate Daniel sending the word over. It was fun to um, create a civiliz- civilization and then destroy it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you were drunk with
1: power. Uh, yeah, and now I'm just regularly drunk. Um, <laughs> Kevin, you have an unconventional review for our Halloween episode. <clears throat> I do, and it's not
2: necessarily because of the game content, but because of what I'm putting into it. Alright, the game that I'm reviewing is the Pokemon Trading Card game for the iPad. And the reason that this is for our Halloween episode is because I am a 33-year-old man playing Pokemon cards with your children anonymously online.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. There's nothing scarier. There's nothing scarier than that.
2: So anyway, Pokemon the Trading Card Game. It's developed by the Pokemon company. You know, the company that brings us the Pokemans. It's free on the App Store. Uh, It's based on the actual trading card game that I believe is published by Wizards of the Coast. So, the basic mechanics of Pokemon the trading card game are you have, you know, the Pokemon, you have, like, energy cards that are basically your resources, and you have, like, training cards, which basically function kind of like spells that, like, simulate the involvement of the trainer with their Pokemon. The goal is you are fighting against your opponent, and your goal is to either make six of their Pokemon faint or knock out all of their Pokemon that they have available in-game at that point in time. So, you know, the way it works is you have one Pokemon that's active at a time. You have up to six Pokemon that you can have sitting on the bench. Which, you know, seems fairly like the Nintendo uh, portable games up until that point. Now, each Pokemon has certain moves that it can do, and each move requires energy, so every turn you can attach one energy card to one of your Pokemon. You can choose which one. Like you can, you can have like your Pokemon and play just you know be a meat shield and get the shit beaten out of him while you power up one that's on your bench because he'll do more damage later. Or you can go you know straight up with the one that you have active at that point in time and use him in battle. Uh, there are cards like potions that heal damage or you know a card that will like switch out your active with your basic Pokémon, because what you can do is your active Pokémon can retreat from battle, but it does have an energy cost associated with it. The more powerful the Pokémon generally, the more expensive the retreat cost. So there's also weakness, like elemental weakness applied to this, because that's a mainstay of the Pokémon games. So, you know, grass is super effective against water and does double damage. Uh, fire is super effective against grass, Psychic is super effective against fighting, and that's sort of how it goes. Like, there are fewer Pokemon types in the trading card game than there are in the actual video games. Like, a lot of them are combined. Like, instead of having bug-type Pokemon, because you need a bug-type energy to to fuel them, bug types are just considered grass types. Uh Oh, and ground types are generally just considered fighting, and the same goes for rock. I don't know how I feel about that. Um, It doesn't bother me as much as I initially expected it would. Now, a little bit of background with me. I've never played the actual trading card game. However, I do have the Game Boy Color cartridge from Ooh. way back when. Um, and I enjoyed it a lot on the Game Boy Color, so I was really excited.
1: Ooh, side note. Yeah? That's available for 3DS today to download. I know you already have the cartridge, but...
2: No, it's that. Well, that's definitely worth checking out.
1: Yeah, and if you download it, you get a uh, download code for the demo of the new Pokemon games. That I always mix up the order of the names. O R A S. That's what yeah. everyone calls them.
0: Omega Ruby, Alpha Sapphire.
1: Well,
2: shit, son. So <laughs> sorry. Go on. No, that's the that's the basic overview of the gameplay. Um, basically, you know, you knock out six of your opponent's Pokemon throughout the entire game. Or you knock out Pokemon until your opponent doesn't have any active, doesn't have any Pokemon in play, and you win the game. It's not um, as strategic as a lot of CCGs that I played are. I mean, I've never played like Magic the Gathering, which is you know, the big one, but you know, I have played a fair amount of Hearthstone, and I played a fuck ton of Star Wars <laughs> in the in the mid nineties. And it's not as strategic as either of those games is. It's fairly simplistic, but it, like a lot, of, there is a lot of strategy in the deck building. Like it's kind of fun to build um, decks that combine types. And the one thing that this game, like the card the trading card game, does do for me is explains the idiocy of all of the gym leaders in the core <laughs> game series, where they're like, "No, I'm only going to use fighting types. I'm only going to use fire types." Where like the main character that you play is like well, I'm going to build a well-balanced team that can take down anything. Like, why? Like I always wondered why no one else ever did that. And it turns out that they just don't have the energy to, to fuel all their Pokemon. Like, it actually makes sense to me. Like, because this game requires that you be, like, almost like a specialized gym leader of some sort or another. So... It doesn't necessarily behoove you, though, to build a deck of just one type, because if you build a fire deck that's just fire, that means that you're going to have a really rough time of it if you fight a water deck. And you never know, like, I mean, you know when you're playing against the AI in this iPad version, like, what you're going up against, but, like, when you play it against other players, you don't know that, like, oh, this guy's going to use his water deck, so I'm going to use my lightning or my grass deck. So it um definitely makes sense to diversify a little but you still have to go sort of like a main type but it's kind of fun to combine like fire and water together cuz like they sort of cover each other's weaknesses a little bit and you just have to like diversify in energy a little bit so like you have to put like maybe fewer trainer cards in the deck and put more energy into it than you might otherwise do but yeah, I, like I said, it, it's not necessarily as strategic. A lot of the times I discovered that many of the games I've gotten into have really come down to who evolved their Pokemon first. and Because really, like the second or third stage Pokemon can KO a lot of the basic Pokemon in just one shot. So you, you always have to start with a basic Pokemon. So you can't just like drop a Charizard into play right off the bat. Um, you have to have a, you have to start with a Charmander, and then you can I believe you can only evolve once a turn. Like so, you have to keep like Charmander down for a turn, and you can attach energy to him and attack with him a while, and then you can evolve to a Charmeleon and then you can evolve to a Charizard, but you have to have a card for each single one of those. So mm. usually the deck mechanics, you want to do like like four Charmanders to a deck, or or like, you know, like one, one, and one, basically. You know, three Charmanders, two uh, Charmeleons, one Charizard card in your deck. Each deck has a maximum of 60 cards. You can't play with more, you can't play with less. And the evolved Pokemon require more energy to use their attacks. So, like, for example, while a Charmander can attack with 1 fire energy, but he only does, like, 10 damage. A Charizard does, I believe, 100 or 120 damage, but he ca- it costs 4 energy to use that attack, and in addition to that 4 energy, you have to discard 2 of those energy every time you use the attack. So there are drawbacks. Like, it isn't always better to evolve, but it usually is. One of the other benefits of evolution is um, status ailments play pretty heavily into this game, and anytime you evolve a Pokemon, they do keep all of their damage counters on them, but they get more hit points, and it cures any status ailments they may have, such as paralysis, poison, or burn, or anything like that but one of the reasons that it is it seems like a more solid strategy to evolve is because those pokemon have better hit points, they're harder to knock out, and the weaker pokemon just do so little damage and there's not a lot of strategic play to them. Like the for example, Rattata doesn't have a move that does any damage. It just has it has a one energy cost move. That you flip a coin, and if you get heads, your opponent is paralyzed and can't attack on the next turn. Or if you flip tails, the attack does absolutely nothing at all. And that's one of my complaints with the mechanics of the game, is that so much of it is based on luck. Like, it is very, very possible in the Pokémon Trading Card game to just get boned by a coin. Because you can get poisoned by like your opponent flipping heads at the right time or it, or you can get burned. And the way burning works is between every single turn you flip a coin. If you flip heads, you don't take damage. If you flip tails, you take you take one damage counter on your Pokémon. Um which if you're lucky means that you get no damage done. If you're unlucky, you just take damage like crazy. I find the the coin mechanic to be sort of frustrating because it sort of punishes you for trying to think more strategically than just like bashing your opponent's door down with brute force because there's no way that a Rattata is going to be able to stand up to a Charizard and I realize that's fairly consistent with the way the game works. It's just for a core series as strategic as Pokemon can be, at least competitively anyway, the card game seems to lack a little bit of that depth. But it's still pretty fun, and most of the fun of the game is in the deck building, like coming up with new themes and new strategies. It's just that most of the strategy is in the actual deck building itself rather than the gameplay.
1: Um, I'm wondering,
2: microtransactions,
1: they have to be in there, right?
2: Yeah, for purchasing booster packs. But you also get currency for just playing the game. It's kind of like a, an approach similar to Hearthstone, where like you know you can pay money or you can just grind eternally. And honestly, you start out with a pretty impressive card pool to begin with. Like, it's not amazing. I don't have as much energy as I want to be able to build a deck. Like, I was dicking around with the deck building tool earlier, and I was trying to build a water deck, and I only had 16 water energy, which just isn't anywhere near fucking enough. Like, when I played it on the Pokémon trading card game for the Game Boy Color... What I what I always did was I had like a minimum of twenty five energy in every single deck I made. Like almost half my deck was energy, if not more. Like if it was a fire deck because most fire Pokemon burn energy as they attack because they have like more powerful attacks, but they actually destroy cards. So you know you want like for a fire deck you want like thirty energy in the deck. Like I don't have quite enough energy yet to really build a good deck, but I've made I've sort of like stuffed some trainer cards in there that like get cards out of the discard pile which is which seems kind of like a waste i'd rather just have the straight up energy but anyway um that's all basically you know the actual mechanics of the game what i want to talk about now is the app and the way it handles the pokemon trading card game experience you can custom design your own avatar from like a handful of customization options they aren't vast but like it's definitely a little it definitely has a few more options than like World of Warcraft has or something like that. So, you know, I I created like my own custom avatar because I started out as like the default avatar for me was a young African-American woman. <laughs> that's that's cool that they didn't that they didn't assume that I was, you know, a man automatically or Caucasian. I just thought it was interesting because like I pl- I definitely played a couple like a handful of games with that avatar before I finally made my own. <laughs> Were you um, getting secret messages via the messaging system, yo girl? <laughs> yes, I, I. No, that <laughs> didn't happen. Ha- hashtag Gamergate. The like, like I said, the, the options are pretty limited. Like when I was making my own avatar, I ended up having to make someone who looked more like Rivers Cuomo than me. But I, I thought it was kind of interesting that, especially the the facial hair options are rather limited. Like I was looking for a pair of like you know mutton chops, like sort of like what I have. And they have nothing like that. Basically, their options with facial hair are either baby, smooth face, or mustaches. It's like they know the demographic that's playing this game. <laughs> <laughs> either children or pedophiles.
0: Did you find any options for making your avatar look uncomfortably old? I did not. But, I i
2: mean, to be fair, I wasn't really looking for it either. I don't think they give you options to be, like, wrinkly or whatever. <laughs> I think they just expect you to, to imply age with, like, your facial hair or something, which... I don't know. So, the app itself, the cards look great. I mean, I like I said, I don't play the Pokemon trading card game, like, in its physical form. But as far as I can tell, it might be actual, like, recreations of the cards in terms of the illustration work, because it looks really good. But... Everything else looks pretty awful. Like the the avatars, the character designs, just don't look good at all. Like like you would think that since this is um, developed by the Pokemon company, that they would go more with like the Pokemon series art style, of, like you know weird looking anime kids or whatever. But they just have like these very American looking. Cart- it, it it honestly looks like a fan created. Thing rather than an actual official thing, like because I remember being like, oh, like originally like, yeah, yeah, the Pokemon Company is making this, and then like opening the app and seeing like the two characters on the loading screen and be like, the Pokemon Company made this? This fucking shit.
1: Yeah, well, hold on though. Let's talk about the Pokemon Company for a second. Okay. Um, I mean, have you noticed the the stuff they've been doing lately? No. On top of just the, releasing this app for iOS, they've released another app for iOS and. You know, they're kind of their own entity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they're sort of acting independently of Nintendo, whereas before, it was just like they were hand-in-hand. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think we're going to see a day where Pokemon are, you know, bigger than just a Nintendo franchise, and it's very close. I I downloaded the Camp Pokemon app, Mm -hmm. which um, was clearly developed for five-year-olds, I'd say. Yeah. (laughs) I, I, I looked at the
2: app, and, like, I looked at some screenshots, and... Decided not to waste my time.
1: It's basically the equivalent of, like, if you went on, like, the Disney Channel's webpage ten years ago and played, like, the games they had for free on there, all the Flash games and stuff. Like, it's pretty much that with Pokemon. So I, I gave it a good old-fashioned go, but... Mm.
2: Yeah, the like, the the Pokemon trading card game looks like a bad Flash game in terms of actual presentation. Like, outside of the yeah. way the cards appear... And I I found the user interface to be confusing and things under, like, weird buttons and the buttons not necessarily being representative of, like, anything that they actually do. Like, the user interface is just shitty. Uh, And, and, like, I I understand that the Pokémon Company isn't Nintendo, strictly speaking. But since they have been making these Pokemon games for years, and this is a game about the Pokemon trading card game, you would think that they would go with a similar art style, or at least come up with something better than this fucking shit show that they ended up using. Like, the Game Boy Color game looked much better.
1: Oh, that's weird. Well, I think the problem is then, they're doing the opposite of what they should be doing. Like, because these two apps that they've released in the past month, that the trading card game and camp Pokemon are terrible. And I think they need Nintendo. And I think if they try to break away, they will suffer unless they get another like uh great developer behind them. But I think developing games on their own without that, like supervision, you know, Nintendo is so strict mm-hmm. with, you know, they're on top of their crap. Like they want their polished, perfect games out on day one. Mm-hmm. I think without that, like this is what we get.
0: That's too bad.
2: That's the thing. Like the, the game is also kind of glitchy. Um, And it's nothing... It's nothing horrible. Like, I had problems getting the sound to work for a while on my iPad. The, The sound just wouldn't play in the app. And then I did get the sound to play in the app, and I was like, can I please break the sound again? This is fucking horrible. Like... Uh, the other thing is, like you know, for for a game, and maybe there are copyright issues at play here, but for a game series, like like when we did that episode about great video game soundtracks, Pokemon Red made one of those songs, yeah, uh, like one of my three songs for that episode, and the music in this game is just fucking atrocious. It's not good at all, yeah. um, and it's repetitive, and there's maybe like two or three different songs on the whole thing, and there's nothing noteworthy about them.
0: I bet that is an intellectual property issue. Yeah, I mean, that's the only
2: good reason for the music in the game to be this bad. It's just that they couldn't, they didn't have the rights to it. That's the only good reason. Another thing is, the game, well, first of all, it takes up a lot of space on the iPad. Like, it takes up a gig and a half of memory. Dang. Yeah, like, by comparison, Hearthstone... Fucking Hearthstone, which is, like, a a much more polished experience, takes up, like, 500 megabytes. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: And, like, in order to install iOS 8 on my iPad, I had to delete the Pokemon trading card game so I'd have (laughs) enough memory space to install it. (laughs) Wow, (laughs) that's funny. Like, it's just kind of stupid how much memory the app actually takes up. Especially since, like, it supposedly has cloud storage. Oh. Because, like, when I deleted the app, you know, everything was saved in my account.
0: That sounds like unoptimized software. That's
2: And that's the next thing I was getting to, because the load times on everything are fucking horrible. Loading games takes forever. Loading the actual app takes forever. When you buy a, a pack of cards, the cards have to load.
0: Wow.
2: <sighs> like, it's just pretty bad. And I'm not gonna. I mean, my internet's not the best, but it can't be that bad. Like, I normally. I mean, tonight I've been having issues, but I can normally stream Netflix, like, all fucking night and have no problems. I'm saying fuck a lot. You're
1: wasted.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And horny.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Non sequitur.
2: Must be all those Taran's I've seen. They're horny too. <laughs> taran's a Pokemon, right? Or that bull thing, right? No. What's that bull Pokemon that has the horns? I don't fucking remember. There go with the fucking again. All right, all right. I think I got. It. I think I got all the f bombs out of me.
1: The best is like. You're kind of cutting out a little bit because, you know, Skype problems. <laughs> yeah, just- mm-hmm. And so it just, like, cuts into you, cursing <laughs> and then cuts back out. <laughs> you just
0: hear fucking horny, it's awesome. what What
2: is that fucking bull Pokemon?
0: Tauros.
2: Tauros, yes, that one. <laughs> He's horny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he is horny. It says that right here on Bulbapedia. <laughs>
2: Does it really? No, it doesn't. Oh, that makes me sad. So yeah, I mean the another thing is like you have to play this game online. Like it has a lot of AI opponents you can play against, but you have to play online and it's an iPad only game. So like unless you have one of the iPads where you have like a data plan with it, it just seems like you have to be on Wi-Fi to play this game. You can't just like pull it out and play at, you know, the like while you're getting your oil changed to the garage or something.
1: I hate those kinds of games.
2: I mean, I'm not completely sold on the trading card game itself just because it, it isn't as nuanced as a lot of card games are. Like, part, like one of the problems with having uh, your resources be an actual card is that it's very easy to get, like, all Pokemon or all energy and just get screwed over by that. I thought the way Star Wars handled it was a lot more elegant, or Hearthstone, where, you know, like, every turn you get a set number... Of re- of mana in Hearthstone and in Star Wars, like you can, if you don't have enough resources one turn, you can save them. Or if you don't have any cards, you can use your resources to draw cards rather than actually have the resources. It seemed balanced, and it seemed a lot more elegant than being like, oh well, I just got really unlucky in that game because I couldn't get any energy the whole game. All I got was Pokemon, and they stood there and did nothing while they got pummeled to death. I guess my my complaints are equally like mechanics of the game and the actual app itself. I have very fond memories of the Game Boy Color game. I just found that to be a much more positive experience. I mean, the obvious drawback being that you can't have expansion packs in yeah. the long term. Like, outside of the initial like 200-some cards you can get in the Game Boy Color game, you can't get anymore, And this has the potential to update, but I just didn't find it to be
1: as enjoyable as the Game Boy Color version. I've had Pokemon on my mind a lot lately. Yeah. It was, um, I don't know, just I saw the hype with the new the new games, mm-hmm. you know, the more that's coming out. And then, you know, I, how I was up until last year, super yeah. anti
0: mm-hmm. all
1: this stuff. But like, even uh, editing our last episode, I put in one of the Pokemon songs that was in um, Smash Bros. for 3DS. Mm -hmm. It was the Lumio City song. And like, ever since then, I'm like, I miss playing X and Y. And I feel like that game didn't get its fair share. Like, I don't know. It just seems too quick to have another Pokemon game coming out and we're just ditching X and Y.
0: That's how Pokemon's always been,
1: though. It's never been a yearly franchise, though.
2: For a frame of reference, Ruby and Sapphire came out in 2003. I don't think, uh the next entries, Diamond and Pearl came out until two thousand six. Or two thousand seven even maybe.
0: I've always I've always found that the generations tend to be pretty short within generations. Like there's like two generation five games and then more like a year later.
2: Well no, what what they what they've always done is like they did like red blue, then yellow, and then they did gold and silver and then crystal and Ruby and Sapphire and then Emerald. Um and yeah, like that was, like, the, the, one, the third version of each generation that came out was, always seemed to be like, kind of like the definitive version. It had its own unique legendary, and with, I think with the exception of Yellow, I don't think Yellow did that. But it was more or less the same game. It was just like, okay, you know, you can catch them all in this generation one more time, and here are a couple unique ones that we're throwing into this, too.
0: Here's what happened in Generation 3. Ruby and Sapphire, 2002-2003. Fire Red and Leaf Green, 2004. Emerald, 2004 2005. Oh,
1: wow. Yeah. That is really close together.
0: There's like two years in between the Japanese and the American releases. In fact, Black and White, Black 2 and White 2 came out a year apart. Same thing with Diamond, Pearl, Platinum, Heart Gold, and Soul Silver. I
1: don't know. Uh, I, I was just kind of like, I don't know. I haven't played a lot of great RPGs in the last decade, I'd say. And, like, first time playing through Pokémon X, even though the story and the dialogue are not great, it still felt like one of those old RPGs I grew up with. Yeah. And just hearing hearing that music and, like, seeing all the hype for the new game, I'm just like, I want want to do that all over again. I want to experience it all over again.
0: So, I've been looking forward to URAS also, and so I've been thinking, like, if I want to play Pokémon so badly, why don't I go back and play X and Y? And it's actually like kind of hard to come up with stuff to do in that game. If you
1: go online and look at the post-game content, there's actually a pretty decent amount of post-game stuff to do, like getting all the legendary stones and all that, or the sorry, the mega evolution stones Mm -hmm. and all that crap.
0: Obviously, the end-game stuff is all battling or collecting, and collecting is fine if you don't mind grinding a lot. And you also have to have somebody to trade with because. A lot of the evolutions, there's always, like, five or six evolutions every, like, set that you have to trade with. And so, if you're, like, the only one you know still trying to collect stuff in Pokemon X, it becomes kind of a pain in the neck to be like, Hey, Kevin, could you get on Pokemon and trade me my yeah. Kingdra so that I can, you know, go back to grinding?
2: <laughs> I don't think I even had Pokemon X in my DS
1: this year. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, i stayed in mind for a while,
0: but I'm, I'm, I'm poor. I really love Pokemon, and I'm absolutely going to get the new game, and I'm going to play it like crazy. I'm going to put 200 hours in it, and then I'll probably never play it again for a year.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, before we get all crying like it's Link's Awakening, I'm going to move on to my review for Our Portable Past. And that is Castlevania Circle of the Moon. It was developed by Konami Entertainment Kobe. I guess that's the division of Konami. Um, originally released June 11th, 2001 for the Game Boy Advance. And if you'll remember a few episodes ago, I spoke into existence. Konami and Nintendo re-releasing the Game Boy Advance Castlevania games this month because of Halloween for the Wii U Virtual Console. So yeah you're welcome, Planet Earth. I did that. But sadly, this review isn't going to be what I wanted it to be originally, though. Like, I had planned to review all three Castlevania Game Boy Advance games in this, like, epic, our portable surpass segment for this Halloween episode, but reality kind of came crashing down on me, and just life and money and Hyrule Warriors got in the way of this actually coming to fruition. So... Tonight I present to you the first of three eventual reviews that I still plan to do of this Castlevania trilogy for Game Boy Advance that isn't necessarily a trilogy. Um, Circle of the Moon was a Game Boy Advance launch title and one of the two games that I got uh, at launch, along with F-Zero Maximum Velocity. And the original Game Boy Advance hardware, if, if you'll recall from our lovely Game Boy Advance episode, um, was not backlit. So the combination of the hardware being difficult to see to begin with, added with this game being a dark gothic style adventure means that like most people who played it on the original hardware probably now need like LASIK surgery from hours <laughs> of like squinting and straining their eyes. Fortunately this is what am I trying to say? It's it's been corrected, uh, for the virtual console release, obviously. You know, playing it either on your T V or the the Wii U gamepad is for me an an enlightening experience. Like
2: I see what you did there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I hardly remember anything uh, about this game when I was playing through it recently, and I attribute most of that to just not even being able to see what was going on in the original game. Like, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but of, you know, these days, of course, in addition to playing it on a big backlit screen. There's a few, like, graphic adjustments you can make that's common for a lot of these virtual console games, like you can smooth out the pixels or stretch the aspect ratio to be full screen, but I'm sort of a purist and, like, only enjoy playing it kind of, you know, I I just play I like to play in the original aspect ratio, no filters, and all that being said, like, the game's still beautiful. The, the pixel, pixel art's really nice. It's not quite as good as, like, the two games for the Game Boy Advance that came after it, or even Circle of the Moon's daddy, which would be Symphony of the Night. But it, it, I think it still holds up pretty nicely. So the stories in the Castlevania games have never been very strong. And the dialogue... <laughs> if you played <laughs> Symphony of the Night, you know what I'm talking about. But the dialogue <laughs> is bad. Like, I don't know if it's poor translation or what, but it's, it's always kind of straddled the line between cringeworthy and meme-worthy, I think. <laughs> Circle of the moon's no no exception to that rule. Like the heroes are silly and forgettable. The only real memorable enemy is Dracula, maybe maybe Camilla, I don't know. Maybe the Grim Reaper. Anyway, so I'm not going to waste anyone's time with the absurdness of all that, the plot and the dialogue, but you know, it's this is your traditional post symphony of the night Castlevania game. You know, there's side scrolling, backtracking, magic items big bosses and some kind of new feature or gimmick in store for you you know your primary weapon is your your trusty belmont heirloom whip and um you'll gather that usual arsenal it's secondary to the whip that is like you know your axes your holy water your crosses and, and then you can also gain abilities like you know a double jump or a wall kick or that kind of stuff but new to, to the series, and I think exclusive to this game specifically, is the DSS system. And that's short for Dual Setup System. I guess that's redundant to say DSS system. Anyway, it's a menu where you have two rows of cards that unlock you know, when you kill certain enemies. And then you can combine one card from each row to create just this huge variety of effects. There's like 20 cards, so I don't know, you do the math. So, for example, you'll you'll combine two cards and you'll activate, um, say, like a f- uh, a fireball shield that circles around you, kind of like the the leaf shield in like Mega Man or whatever. And then maybe you'll switch um, one of the cards in one of the rows, and say uh, you'll get a flame whip. Maybe if you just kept the fire card in place, or if you if you swapped out the other card, we'll say it's a shield card. You'll, you'll have an ice shield instead of a fire shield, and so. I don't know, the cards have cooler names than that, like, I don't know, Mercury, Venus, and all that. But, like, I'm just trying to, like, simplify to help you all understand. But, like, it's this awesome addition to the series, and the only downside to it, really, is how freaking, like, rare the card drops are. If you want to collect all of them, you're going to spend, like, hours grinding certain enemies, and then you kill them, and then you leave the room, and you come back so that they respawn, and then just lather, and rinse, and repeat. Regardless, it's a really cool system. I really like experimenting with different card combinations. Earlier, I mentioned how much I like the graphics, and I think they really shine on the enemies, specifically the gigantic bosses. Like, the animation's okay, but when, like, you're fighting this, like, two-screen tall zombie dragon duo or, like, this sadomasochistic goat in some kind of medieval torture device, like, you're not going to hear me complain about the the so-so animation like this does though lead me to like one of my major complaints which is the difficulty like you can grind and level up and get like better armor and all this stuff but like if you just try doing a simple playthrough like I've been trying to do without any grinding it's really freaking hard like next to impossible the bosses are not friendly although like last week or something I, I jokingly posted to Miiverse this screenshot of the zombie dragons and like just caps lock caption of I quit. (laughs) (laughs) To be completely honest, I have not gone back to the game since then. (laughs) There are like unlockable modes that you can get if you beat the game under certain conditions. I never spent much time with any of them. Um, I unlocked one or two of them on the original hardware and they're basically, they're basically the main game with your character starting out with like different stats. And, but you know, maybe he has increased magic this time or increased strength and, you know, one of your other stats or something, or drastically reduced, or you can't use any magic or secondary items at all, or something like that. It's it's basically hard mode under various different circumstances, and I don't know, it's not incredibly appealing, but I don't know, it's there. All in all, I really think it's a it's a pretty strong Castlevania game. It's certainly better than anything we've been seeing these past few years. I I just think like with the with the option of adjustable difficulty, it would be a lot better. But I, I can recommend it if if you want to play it on the Wii Virtual Console. It's like eight, eight bucks or something like that.
2: And really, like you you were saying that you can level your character up. So like if I mean if you are having huge problems, you can just grind for a while.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just don't want to. It's a side scroller. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> it just means wandering around, smacking at giant knights that shoot me with electricity or whatever. They do have some pretty funny enemies in the game, like we're just ridiculous. One of, one of the ones that I've been seeing people post about a lot on Meverse is there's various different skeletons. You'll have, like, regular skeleton, skeleton archer, there's skeletons that throw bombs, and one of them is skeleton athlete. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can all agree. It's ridiculous. Does
2: it's he hilarious. score the touchdowns? I don't, I don't know what he
1: does. <laughs> and
2: get homecoming king? <laughs> yes.
1: He does all of the above. But yeah, eventually I'll get around to reviewing the other two. Game Boy Advance Castlevania games, because I think they're all very good. This is actually the worst one. Circle of the Moon is probably the worst of the three, but it's still better than, you know, Lords of Shadow or whatever the heck the new ones are called.
2: Now, if you had the patience to play this on the original Game Boy Advance hardware, like, this must have been a real treat. I
1: played through it a couple times on the original hardware. Dude, I, I'm i still convinced that, that that system is why I have tendonitis to this day. <laughs> In addition to just like trying to find perfect light, like it's just so uncomfortable to play for long periods of time. It was Mario Kart Super Circuit that destroyed my hands.
2: I think like, Mar- I think every iteration of Mario Kart destroys somebody's hands. Okay. Like power sliding, getting the, getting those sparks. Yeah. Particularly with um, the 3ds iteration of it, that was just really hard on on like between uh like my index finger and my thumb. I found Mario Kart Seven to be harder on my hands than Kid Icarus Uprising.
1: Oh, that's surprising. I heard that game is the crippler. I never really had that experience with it. Do you play with the stand? No, I never even unwrapped my stand. Oh, jeez! <laughs> you just have brawny man hands, or what? Jeez,
0: Kevin does have kind of brawny man hands. I've well, seen
1: handle you both. You could be manhandle a. In a in Zelda. Man, I was just about to go there, and you beat me to it. That's not a joke at all. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, we gotta wrap this up. This is gonna be a long episode. Yeah. Happy Halloween, and uh,
0: we'll see you next month. Trick or treat safely, boys and girls. Look both ways before crossing the street. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Good night. Thanks for listening, everybody. Go over to portablepower.popularoutcasts.com. Clear your cookies or use incognito mode. Do the shopping that you'd normally do. We'll get a small cut of whatever it is you spend at no additional cost to you. Help us get noticed. Go over to iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe to the Portable Power Podcast. Get in touch with us. Maybe you'd like to send us a game review request or your own answer to our question of the week. You can email us at portablepowerpodcast at gmail.com or use Facebook, facebook.com slash or get in touch with us on Twitter at PortablePowerFM. Drink responsibly and listen to the next episode of the Portable Power Podcast so you can witness what happens when people don't.
1: Can you hear Natalie and the baby going at it? Um, they're they're going, they're getting into it. I should say,
0: not the phrasing you want to use. <laughs> Sorry.
1: No, it's okay. I'm not responding. I'm just not responding because I'm typing out. <laughs>
2: Not a baby anymore
1: from what I can see from
2: Facebook, though. All right. Oh,
1: I thought you were going to continue on with that, that poor phrasing there. He's
2: a man now.